question that we've been asking over the last several weeks. It's a question that, that maybe if you're the very first time you've ever been asked, I get it because in the last year, it's a question that I was asked for the first time. How's your soul? I'm not asking you how are you doing. I'm not asking you how's your health. I'm, I'm asking how's your soul? Every single one of us has a God-shaped hole in our soul. And every single one of us is trying to fill that hole with something. Maybe It may be a, a square of a relationship. It may be a triangle of an addiction. It may be, I, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what you're trying to fill your soul with. But every single human being on this planet is striving to try to fill their life with something. And, and, and the truth is, is all of us have a longing in our soul. All of us are hungry in our soul, whether we realize it or not. Whether, whether we're willing to acknowledge it or not, every single one of us relies on something or someone to define who we are. To, to give us clarity in our life of what we think we might be about as a, as a human being. And we strive to fill our soul, and, and yet none of those things fill it. We keep having to go back to those things because none of them actually satisfy, none of them actually fill our hungry soul, but there is one who says that he can, and, and, and I believe he does, and in Psalm 107 verses 8 and 9, David writes and he says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with good things. Good things. The best things. You and I, oftentimes in our life, we settle for leftovers. When God wants to give us good things for our hungry soul. And I mean better than any food you've ever tasted in your life. And, and uh, I, I, I don't know about y'all, but I've had some really, I, I mean, I'm married to a Southern Belle, and the woman can cook, all right? And, and, and I mean, I, I think it's obvious, uh, if you look at me, that she, she does pretty good. Um, I've had some amazing, and then, and then you got her mom, who is a North Carolina woman, who, who, who wow, um, she gets it honest, praise God. Um, all I'm saying is good stuff, but it doesn't even compare to the good things that God offers to us. And, and I, still, I still have to keep going back to her cooking to feed me up, to fill me up, feed me up. Well, I don't even know where that came from, but anyway, fill me up. I do, I, I mean, it, it's just not a one-time deal. Like, I, I want more and more of, of her cooking. The beauty of God is you can come to him, he fills you up, you want more and more of him, but it's not because necessarily he's always, always he's already filled me up, I just want more of him. And, 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 I, and, and I long for that, and, and whether or not that's in singing, or whether or not that's in fellowship, or whether or not that's in whatever it is, more and more of God in my life allows me to feel and understand and know that I can be satisfied in Him. When everything else in this life just doesn't cut it. 
Yes, it may for a little while, but in the long term, it just does not do what everybody says it will do. In, in actuality, what ends up happening is, is that many of those things that I end up allowing to try to fill my life end up twisting it and turning my life inside out and, and really almost destroy my life. And, and that's not God's desire. That's not what God wants. He, he is a, he, he, we just said it, his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds toward mankind. Why? Because he can satisfy our longing soul and he can fill our hungry soul with good things. And so we talked about five good things. Good thing number one is redemption. Redemption being made right with God, being made right with God through Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can have forgiveness of sin and so that we can be set free from that and have redemption, have a right relationship with God. We put motions to that and we our motions were raise your hands up in the air and throw them around like you just don't care. Uh, that's number one good thing. Number two is rest. And, and this is our, our, uh, our motion for rest. Um, every, I don't know anybody that doesn't sleep um, and, and still survives. Um, you may sleep a little, you may sleep a lot, whatever, but all of us need sleep. The rest that we're talking about is not necessarily sleep. Uh, it is an intentional break from whatever takes us away from the goodness or focuses our, us away from the goodness of God. We intentionally take a break to focus on the goodness of God for my good. Am I resting in him? He gives rest to our soul. And, and then number three, good thing number three is restraint. Restraint, the ability to say no. No and this, and this is our symbol, hand, hand up like this, and no, not today, Satan. Um, you know, whatever you got to say, um, I, it's no to, to sin and yes to God. And, and God gives us the ability through free will to choose to say no to sin and say yes to him. And, and so are we showing restraint, good thing number three, by saying no to sin and yes to him. Good thing number four is relationship. Relationship. God brings into our life people who will breathe into our life, into our soul. They bring, they bring life. Now, I realize relationships are messy. Relationships are difficult. But God has created you for relationships. You are, and it's not with animals. Y'all go back to Genesis when God created man and man was naming all the animals and God says something so amazing, so incredible, none of them, none of the animals were a good fit for Adam. Which I'm like, praise God. Because in that moment that he realized that he created woman. Huh, thank God. Um, and uh, I praise the Lord for that because I don't want a sheep or a rabbit or whatever to be the thing that I turn to for significance. Just saying. I grew up on a farm, y'all. I've been around animals. They're nice, but they don't talk back. And some of you are like, that's why I love them. Praise God. 
We're made for relationship. Relationship with him and relationship with other people. No matter how messy, no matter how weird that gets, we're made for relationship. Good thing number five is responsibility. Oh, by the way, the motion for that is a hug. A hug or a fist bump or a high five or a smooch, whatever. Um, Good thing number five is responsibility. God has created you to do good works, and in that good work, to worship him and to serve others. To worship him and to serve others. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, work heartily with your whole heart, with your whole life, as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. The motion for that is, what am I doing? Shoveling, diggling, digging, yeah, diggling. <laughs> I don't know where that word, whatever, praise God. Uh, y'all need to stand up. Stand up. Stand up. So, so here's the thing. Um, you're not falling asleep on my watch. All right. So here we go. We're gonna do. We're gonna say the good thing, and then the motion. Ready? Good thing number one. Redemption. Oh, I love it in church, y'all. Raising your hands. Praise the God. Good thing number two is rest. Rest. Good. Good thing number three is restraint. Mm-mm, not today, Satan. You can say it out loud, that's fine. Uh, good thing number four, relationship. Give, some, give somebody a meaningful hug, as long as they're okay with it. Or, yes, hi, my love. Mm. By the way, that's my wife. <laughs> Hold on now, Aaron. <laughs> um, I love you, but we're going to have 50 cuffs going on here in a second. Um, Wow. (laughs) Praise God. All right, and then number five is responsibility. Shovel away. Shovel away. You can put your hips into it or whatever you need to do. Shovel away. All right, good. Have a seat. Good, good, good. (laughs) So a verse this week that God has been hammering me with in a good way. Um, is James 4.17. James 4.17, you might want to write this one down. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. There's a big, big difference between knowing good and doing good. James makes it clear that There are things that we know are good that we ought to do, and if we don't do them, then it's sin. What is sin? Sin is disobedience against God. James 4.17. See, I, I, I don't know about you, but I not only want to know what these good things are, and by the way, this is not exhaustive. There are more than just five good things that God gives to us that offers to our soul to fill us up. I don't want to just know those good things. I want to be filled with those good things. I want, I want to be living out those good things. I want to be 
doing those good things, and those good things come from who I am, my being in Christ. I don't, I don't, these good things are not things I have to do. These good things are things I get to do. When I was a kid, uh, many of you can identify with this because as growing up, at least for me on a farm, we always had a list of chores to do. How many of y'all had a list of chores growing up that, you know, whatever it was uh, that your mom or dad made for you, grandparents, whatever? How many of you heard this statement from whoever made the list? Why are you sitting there? They're not going to do themselves. Y'all, y'all, y'all heard that before? Yeah. So, so God has given us these things. God has allowed us to, to see these things in Scripture. And, and the, the, the point is this, is that it's different. There's a difference between knowing the good and doing it. There's a difference in doing it out of my being than doing it out of, out of have to. Out of, I, I have to do these things. No, I don't have to. I get to. I want to. I long to. I know that God has given these to me so that they fill up my soul. So in turn, I want to live for him. Galatians 2.20. Again, I come back to this passage because it's so, so vital. I've been crucified with Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have not been yet crucified with Christ. Jesus did, yes, die for your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin whether you accept him or not. So in one way, positionally, you have been crucified with Christ. But if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, then you have not accepted the good thing of redemption that is the key to all of it. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, that's where you need to start. And I'm not talking about a have-to religion. I'm talking about a get-to relationship. Religion will not save you. Studying the Bible, coming to church, getting baptized, getting on your knees in prayer. While all those things are good, all of those things can be a have-to religion thing that I have to do in order to somehow appease God or escape his wrath. And the reality is none of those things will do that because only one thing was able to do that, and that's Jesus Christ's sacrifice for your sin. That's it. I'm accepted because of what Jesus did for me, not because of what I do for me or don't do for me. God loves me. God so loved the world, he sent his son. He loves you. He cares deeply about you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Some of you, that's the thing you need to hear today is God loves you and gave himself for you. Maybe, maybe that's the one truth you need to walk away with is God so loved me, he sent his son Jesus to give his life for me. And that's the one thing you need to grab onto. Those of you that have grabbed onto that, 
there is a word that is repeated four times in Galatians 2.20, and it is the word live. When you see a word like that repeated in a verse, this means that it is uber important to God. This is the most important thing that God is, is wanting to get across through this verse. Live for me. Live for Christ. Live by faith. Christ lives in me. All of these things are about living for him. The greatest thing God did for me is send his son Jesus Christ to die and rise again. The least I can do is live for Jesus. Give my life to him and say, here, here it is. I surrender. Here I am. Send me. Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you. I want to live for you. How do we do that? There's a phrase in here that's really important, and it's right smack dab in the middle. In the flesh. In the flesh. That flesh is not what we talked about earlier about uh, in previous weeks about that sin nature that's in every one of us that strives against God, strives against what God wants. This is flesh, and it means your body. Your body. God has given you your body so that you can live for Jesus now. Your human body. This, this, this thing that you and I all have, God has given to you, God has created, God has fashioned together, and if, maybe this is another thing somebody needs to hear today, Psalm 139, write that passage down, if you need to go and read it, go and read it, but in it, in Psalm 139, he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit you together in your mother's womb. You are not a mistake. You are not, God did not mess up when he was making you. God looks at you and says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So, so how is our body vital to the condition of our soul? Three things. Number one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you would, turn there, scroll there, whatever you got to do to get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. There's three things about our body. There's a lot more than that I could go into, but three specific things that we're going to look at that are true about our body that help us understand the condition and the impact that it has on our soul. This body that God has given us is our vehicle that gets us from point A to point B in our spiritual walk. How does that happen? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. If you have put your faith and trust in God, God has sealed you with his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit resides in your soul, and your body is the temple of that soul of the Holy Spirit of God. So everywhere you go, 
God goes. So when he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, guess what? The reason is because he's literally in you. He is in you. So what you, and this also becomes very convicting because where you go, he goes. What you do, he's there. What you say, he hears. What you think, he knows. The Bible says that he even knows every word on our tongue before it even becomes a word. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm convicted super bad like by that. That's just like, dang. Because does anybody else, every one of, well, here's the truth. Every single one of us talks to ourselves more than we talk to anybody else. Am I, am I lying? Like, y'all, like, and, and can I just ask you, are all of your thoughts good toward yourself? Are all of your thoughts good toward other people? You don't have to answer that. I, I, I'll be honest, mine are not. Mine are not. And God knows every single one of those thoughts. Why? Because he's in me. He's in you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, it's like Prego, he's in you. Y'all remember Prego? Sorry, gosh, man, I dated myself there. It was, an old, it was a commercial. It's in there. It's, you know, whatever. Anyway, he's in there. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 says that your body is the house, the tent for your soul. What are we supposed to do with it? Glorify God. What does that mean? Put the spotlight on him. Give him all the praise, all the honor, all the, God, you're the one that deserves it all, not me. I'm, I'm not all that. You're all that. God, I, I, I can't do anything apart from you. God, I have nothing apart from you. God, it is you and you alone that I want to worship and glorify and honor today, not me. That, that's what we're supposed to do with our body is, is, is this this tent, this house, this temple for the Holy Spirit that's in our soul, we are to spotlight and glorify and put the spotlight on Jesus. So question, do people see Jesus in me? Second thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is just a few pages over to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start with verse 14. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Listen to this. I love this. And if you, if you want a visual, think of Mike Wazowski from, from uh, Monsters, Inc. If the whole body were an eye, Mike Wazowski, if the whole body were an eye, can you imagine a whole bunch of eyeballs running around with feet and arms? Like, anyway, watch Monsters, Inc. Um, if, if the whole body were an, then he goes on, he says, if the whole body were an ear. <laughs> Ears are nasty. Like, I, I got hair growing Ears are nasty. Like, I want it up here, God, not here. Anyway, sorry. Some of y'all are like, oh, dude, we're about to eat lunch. Um, the whole body were an ear. Where would this sense of smell be? 
listen to this, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he sees fit, as he chooses. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Our bodies, our life, is one part of a much bigger whole. The church. Every single one of us, if we know Christ, are a part of the body of Christ, of which Jesus is the head the Bible talks about. And every single one of us is to play our role, our function within that body. Every single one of you understand this in your human body. Not all your parts do the same thing. Thank God I don't sneeze out of my fingers. I'm just saying. Every part has its role. Every part has its function. And you are, if you have breath in your lungs, your job is to do your part as a part of the body of Christ. And some of you may be thinking, well, I'm too old for that. Or I'm too young for that. Or I have nothing to offer God. I, I have no special talents. I have no this. I have no that. Can I just ask you a question? Who told you that? Who said you're not special to God? Who said that you're too old? Who said that you're too young? Who said that, that because you have a disability or you think you have a disability, that somehow you can't serve God and have a purpose for God in this life now. Who told you that? Who told you that? I want you to watch this video. Here Good is. morning, Harvest Time. I'm Amber, and I just want to thank Pastor Jason for allowing me to share a little snippet of my testimony here. I was born with a genetic disease called spinal muscular atrophy, type 2. Essentially, my muscles don't hear the signal from my brain that should be traveling through my spinal cord. They don't hear those messages properly. So after not using muscles, the muscles start to atrophy or waste away. And this causes a lot of secondary problems. I personally am not a fan of terms like differently abled or special abilities or euphemisms like that. We should just call it what it is, a disability. Some things deserve stigma, but disability is not one of them. God put my soul into a body that happens to have a disability. My body happens to be limited in a lot of ways. I don't want to give the perception that I can do nothing, but the reality is there's just a lot of things I simply cannot do independently or that I need medical equipment to do. I want to read a verse here. In context, Paul is speaking out against sexual immorality, but I think this is applicable even beyond that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Something it doesn't go on to say, it doesn't give the exclusion of 
Well, if you have a disability, your body's no longer a temple and you can't glorify God with your body. It's just not possible. The verse doesn't say that. <laughs> this applies to everybody. Everybody can glorify God with their body, no matter what limitations it may have. Personally, in my life, sure, I may not be the world's definition of what success looks like, you know, making millions of dollars, because <laughs> uh, that's earthly success. I may not have that, but I still glorify God with my body. The house of my spirit, my body, my temple, is still a vessel for the Lord, for His glory. One example is my husband Devin and I have a YouTube channel that we're trying to grow, and uh, on this channel we talk a lot about the gospel, um, we talk about the theology of disability and equipping the church uh, to know how to handle disability, things like that. So the Lord can use limitations for His glory. Also, on a spiritual note, my dependence on others has really taught me my dependence upon the Lord. And really, all of us, whether we have an obvious disability or not, we depend on each other. But when you have a disability like mine, it really humbles you in a way and makes you realize that, you know, you simply need help. And over the years, this has taught me how much I need God. I need God for salvation. I can't save myself, and none of us can, and we should find our salvation in Christ. He's the only one who can take away our sins. He's the only one that could be that spotless lamb. Not only does God use my limitations to teach myself things, but I also think he uses limitations to test others. I think this is most obviously seen at the end of Matthew chapter 25. I don't have time to read that whole section, but you can go check that out for yourself. Also, just the very intimate nature of caregiving gives space for conversations to happen. I've even shared the gospel with random, you know, women that were helping me. Even with my husband, caregiving just gives us a level of deepness in our marriage that I just, it would be so different without it. Not that I think marriages without caregiving are somehow bad, but the caregiving in our marriage just really gives him another opportunity to be a representation of Christ and the church with me in our marriage. That's all I got for today. Thank you so much for listening to my testimony. Yeah. Amber, Devin, thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for not listening to the voices that maybe are in your own head or maybe from outside of you, but you, uh, you are doing what you can to, to live for God and, and to, to just, uh, again, allow themselves to be a part of the body of Christ in a, in a real special way and blessing us today. So thank you. Um, this third thing, and, 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 and let me, before I get to that, I want to I ask you a question because I think this is so huge. Do I believe that God has a work for me to do? Are you, I need you to ask yourself that. Do I believe that God has 
a work for me to do. I, I could go around this room and whether there's, I, I know some individuals here that are in their 90s. I know some individuals here that are in their 10s. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're doing things to make a difference for God. Even, even in whatever age they might be or whatever health they might be. They believe that there is a work for them to do. Do you believe that God has a work for you to do? This third thing, um, I'm not going to dive into it much today just because of time, but I'm, I'm really going to, it actually was going to be a lead-in for next week. But this third thing, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm going to just say what it is off the bat. But Revelation 21, verse 4, Jesus says, through John, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Here's, here's the truth about our bodies. Our bodies remind us that this is not all there is. This is not all there is. And, and whether that's death that we have experienced or whether that's pain that we're experiencing every day, whether that is, is uh, some disease or, or cancer or whatever it might be, what we need to come to recognize is that our bodies remind us every single day this is not all there is. That Jesus Christ himself one day has promised that every, every thing that is a former will pass away. No more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more crying. All of that is going to go away. Yes, in this life, we will have struggle. The Bible makes that clear. But what that should point us to is the reality that this is not it. That there is more. And that God has in store for us a blessing that is far beyond what we can even begin to think or even imagine. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, These afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Eternity is coming. And the reality is that one day, each and every one of us will face that eternity. And the beauty of that is, is that we can know this is not all there is. There's more to come. And I can say this, and I believe it confidently, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So here's a question for you. And as you think about going into this week of, of remembering what Christ has done for us and remembering next Sunday when we celebrate Easter together, Think about this question. Do I live as if eternity is real? Do I live as if eternity is real? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, Just As I Am. The reason that we're singing this song is to... Help us to think through what we've just heard that God has just spoken to us about, whatever it might be. And then also, we want to give you opportunity. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I, I, I really want to pray with somebody. I really need somebody to pray for me. I'm struggling. Or, or maybe you're not even struggling. Maybe you're just going through some really some good times, and you just want to praise God for that with somebody. 
up here at the front and in the back, there are people. Um, they have name tags like mine, um, and uh, they just want to pray with you. That's all they, you don't have to tell them what it is. You don't have to say anything about it. They just want to be able to pray for you. If you want to tell them, that's fine. If you're here today and you're going, you know, I don't, ha- I don't know Jesus. I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. Every single one of these people, if you ask them, hey, how, how can I know Jesus, they'd tell you. And so, so maybe that's where you're at today and you're just like, you know what, that's what I need. So in just a second, we're going we're gonna to stand up and we're going to sing this final song. Are you willing to, to get out and, and come and just say, you know what, would you pray for me? Or, or maybe you're feeling a nudge. You're sitting next to somebody and you're feeling a nudge by the Holy Spirit and he's telling you, hey, pray for the person next to you. Be the church. We're not here to do church. That, that, that is, you want to talk about a, a, uh, a shape that won't fill a God-shaped hole. That's doing church. We need to be the church. And being the church is, is listening to the Holy Spirit when he nudges you, do what he's telling you to do. So maybe there's somebody that's next to you and you're, you know, the Holy Spirit is just nudging you. Pray for them. Just ask them if you can pray for them. Then do it. It's not just us up here or the people in back somehow that we're special. We're just, we're just a bunch of people that just want to be the church for you. So let's be the church for each other. God, you're good. Thanks for your love for us. Thank you for your son. Thank you that in him we find life. In him we find meaning. In him we find filling for our soul. God, you're good. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's sing.